0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. Listen now as I read the word of the Lord. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he, though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. When they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius uh, lay sick with fever, dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. When, it, when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in the ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And uh, from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, uh, we came to uh, Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so, we came to Rome." The brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Apius in three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage, and when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, but because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through, the, through Isaiah the prophet, will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray and ask you this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Pray Lord God, that uh, your word uh, would indeed be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray that as all of us together sit under the authority of your word, would you speak and teach us, would you lead and guide us, would you restore and renew us, Lord, would you strengthen our faith together. We pray and we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Amen. Uh, the African-American uh, spiritual Ride On King Jesus captures in many ways the spirit of the story in front of us. Uh, black slaves suffering under enslavement in this land saying, Ride On King Jesus, no man can hinder me. Ride On King Jesus, ride on, no man can hinder me. No man can a hinder me. Ride on, King Jesus. Ride on. No man can a hinder me. The slaves came to know a Jesus who was simultaneously sufferer and Savior, oppressed but powerful, mistreated, and yet master. The Jesus they encountered in the Scriptures was, in fact, King." And even in their suffering, they knew him as the one who was advancing that kingdom, even in a broken world, even in their own miserable circumstances. They knew that the one who was freed from the grave would one day free them from their bonds. And so they sang, ride on, King Jesus, ride on, keep advancing your kingdom, Jesus. Keep marching through this world and through history until that great getting up morning comes, that day when evil is put down and your kingdom rules over all. Keep marching until the chains we are wearing are broken and freedom is ours. No man shall hinder me. No man shall shake my faith in your victory, in the coming of your salvation, in the coming of your deliverance from these earthly bonds and from these spiritual ones. So, many slaves who have their faith in Christ understood what you and I are actually called to understand in our day. Nothing can stop the advance of God's kingdom In this world, absolutely nothing can stop the advance of God's kingdom in this world. Nothing can hinder God from advancing the good news of his rule and his reign in this world. Nothing can hinder God from advancing the good news of his rule and reign over this world. The Apostle Paul in our story has been stoned, he's been persecuted, he's been imprisoned and now he has been shipwrecked. And these are only the parts of the story that Luke tells us. Read again Paul's own words in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, and you will get Paul's own list of hardships faced as he bore witness about Jesus in the world. And yet, despite all of those trials, despite all of the mess that Paul had to deal with, the kingdom of God kept being proclaimed from his mouth and kept being demonstrated in his actions toward those around him. And oh, by the way, while all this was happening to Paul, the gospel was spreading in other parts of the world, even Rome, the very place that Paul was headed. Indeed, Paul had written a letter to that church some years prior to his arriving there in chains. It was a church he had not planted. Evidence— that God was advancing his kingdom in the world, unhindered by all the plans, by all the plots, by all the destructive acts of those opposed to that gospel and to his servants who proclaimed it. Jesus, Jesus is advancing his kingdom right on, King Jesus. Let us never be deceived into thinking that our present difficulties have somehow halted the movement of God in the world. The kingdom of God is unstoppable. It is truly as Jesus told us in Matthew 13 when he said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. The kingdom of God just keeps growing and just keeps advancing no matter what people do, no matter what they say, no matter what their plots are and their plans are, no matter what their destructive acts are, acts it just keeps growing. The kingdom just keeps working its way into the world despite all attempts to destroy it. Let us never be deceived into thinking. That our present difficulties have somehow halted the movement of God's kingdom in this world. The call for us is as it was for Paul, is to keep hoping in that kingdom, hoping in its blessings for ourselves, hoping in its blessings for others. What Paul had told those in Jerusalem, he now tells those in Rome it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Yes, I am bound. I am bound, though, in hope, bound in the hope of God's kingdom, which has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We too, brothers and sisters, must be bound to this hope of the unhinderable, unstoppable kingdom of God, bound to the blessings that come to us and to the world through it. And let me tell you why hoping in this kingdom is a must for us. It's a must because your political hopes may be hindered in this world. Your career hopes may be hindered in this world. Your relational hopes may be hindered in this world. Your financial hopes may be hindered in this world, yet the kingdom of God will not be hindered, will not be stopped, will not be destroyed. And its blessings, its blessings are ours and will continue to be ours until the Lord returns and makes everything new. So, what are those blessings? What are those blessings that come to us through this unhindered, unstoppable kingdom of God? Well, the first thing that comes to us through this kingdom, the first thing that God offers us, in fact, in this kingdom is kindness. God's kindness over cruelty. (laughs) The Apostle Paul has seen his share of hardship. He had seen his share cruelty. Paul's body had been the target of a stoning that almost killed him, a beating from his Jewish countrymen that most certainly left him bruised and battered, and now a shipwreck. <laughs> in addition to the physical wounds he suffered, Paul has also been lied on. He's been mistreated. He's been persecuted in almost every place he had gone to preach the gospel about Jesus. And oh, by the way, as I said earlier, Luke is only recounting some of Paul's hardships and cruel treatment. To get a fuller list, you just have to go to that passage in Corinthians I referred to earlier. And looking at all the things that Paul endured, it would be easy to think of him as a superhero, as some kind of superhuman figure, a guy who could take a punch and keep on going. Yet that would be a mistake why? Because Paul was human. And that humanity meant that Paul was vulnerable. It meant that the punches of life hurt. It hurt when he got stoned. It hurt when he got beaten. It hurt when he was lied on. It hurt when he was mistreated. It hurt when he was persecuted. It hurt. It meant that the discouragement was as much a reality for Paul as it is for you and I as we face down the trials of life. The hurt is just as real for you and I as it was for Paul. Why do you think Jesus appears to him along the way to encourage him? (laughs) Why does God send his angel to visit Paul on the ship to encourage him? It's because Paul is a man, a human being, a vulnerable human being who is capable of being broken. And as Paul and those on the ship, as they wash up on the shore of the island of Malta, they arrive there as vulnerable men in need of help. It's raining. It's cold. And they are physically and emotionally exhausted from the shipwreck. They arrive needy. And I just came to tell somebody this morning that the unstoppable kingdom of God meets us at that point of our need. The unstoppable kingdom of God meets us in our vulnerability, and it offers to us something that we in our weak condition desperately need over and over and over again. The kingdom of God offers us kindness. The kingdom of God offers us kindness. Vulnerable people, which by the way is everyone in this room, need to experience repeatedly the kindness of God. Kindness is defined in the Oxford Dictionary as having or showing a friendly, generous, and considerate nature. Titus, speaking to God's kindness, uh, tells us that it is the kindness of God that has come to us and that has brought us salvation. What Paul and those men needed when they washed up on that shore was kindness. They needed to experience that friendly, generous, considerate treatment that defines what kindness is, and that is exactly what they received. We're told in the text in verse 2, the native people showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. <laughs> how, does Paul, how does Paul respond to that kindness that he receives? Well, he responds by returning it. Indeed, it is in the process of returning that kindness that the apostle Paul is bit by a venomous snake. As he's getting up, gathering up brushwood to keep a, the fire going, a snake crawls out, as he places the brushwood on the fire. My wife doesn't even want to hear this story, by the way, she doesn't like snakes. And it attaches to his hand. And this incident arouses superstitious suspicion on the part of the people of the island that Paul must be a murderer, who though he had escaped the sea, is now being given what he deserves. You see, brothers and sisters, the receiving and giving of kindness doesn't insulate us from trouble. Vulnerability implies risk. The extending of kindness to each other implies risk. On the road to doing a good thing of extending kindness, we may, in fact, get bit. We may be misunderstood. We may be suspected. Yet we don't overcome these realities by avoiding the risk. Rather, we keep extending the kindness of God, knowing that God has got our backs. We keep extending it because we know that others in their vulnerability need to not only hear the gospel, but to see it demonstrated in acts of kindness and love. And this is exactly what we see in the text. Paul and these men continue to receive kindness, and Paul continues to extend it. When he finds out that the chief ruler's father is sick, Paul goes, he visits him, and he prays for him. And he lays his hand on him, and he heals him. And God responds… God responds by healing this man. And this leads to others on the island coming to Paul to be healed. And on both sides of this healing is the hospitality that Paul and these men received from the ruler and the honor and blessing they received from the people on the island. Kindness, in other words, is producing kindness. You see what's happening? Kindness is producing kindness. Paul is both receiving it and giving it, because that's what the kingdom of God actually looks like in action. (laughs) It looks like God's kindness being granted to those in need. And this is not surprising because kindness is a feature of the unstoppable kingdom of God. We're called to give that kindness, brothers and sisters, and we're called to receive it. And this kindness, by the way, should be displayed in the life of the believer in every area of our life, should be displayed in our home relationships, should be displayed in our cross-cultural relationships, should be displayed in our relationships with our neighbors. Indeed, we should look for opportunities in all those relationships to demonstrate kindness, remembering what Paul himself says in Romans 2. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing God's kindness is meant to lead you to? Repentance. You see, if we're honest, we think it's simply our confronting people with their sins and our words alone that show forth who God is. But if that's all we do, we miss the heart of God who doesn't just show us our faults but shows us His kindness in forgiving our faults in His Son and doing good to us, providing everything we need. (laughs) So I just have a question for you this morning. Who do you want to lead to God? Who Who do you want to lead to God? Who, who do you want to come to know who God is? Who do, who, do you, who, do you, who do you want to show God to? Who do you want to see repent, turn from their sins, and put their faith in God? I bet you got some people in mind who you would just love to see come to know lo- the Lord. Can I encourage you? Show them kindness. Do good to them. Paul went and visited the ruler's father. Prayed for him, laid his hands on him, healed him. Can I just ask you, what kindness are we doing for others? What are we doing for those around us that show kindness? In fact, kindness is even meant to be shown to our enemies. If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, what do you do? You give them something to drink. You show kindness to your enemies. Doesn't mean you don't call out injustice and unrighteousness and fight for what is right and good and true. But you never let evil overtake you. You always demonstrate the kindness of God even to your enemies. Amen, people of God. Kindness is actually a feature of the unstoppable kingdom of God. And it's a kindness that we receive, and it's a kindness that we give. Amen. God's kingdom offers us kindness over cruelty. God's kingdom offers us community over condemnation. Paul, as we know, is a prisoner He is a prisoner on his way to give testimony before Caesar. Paul had had already been condemned by many of his countrymen. They had, in fact, plotted to kill him on at least two occasions and maybe more. Festus had declared him out of his mind, and despite there being no validity, validity to the charges against him, Paul had been kept a prisoner, only escaping death for a time by appealing to Caesar. And if church tradition is right, Paul is, in fact, going to be condemned by Caesar in Rome. So, how do you face the reality that Paul was facing? Well, I want to suggest that you don't do it alone. <laughs> you don't do it alone. God did not leave Paul to face any of these circumstances by himself. I want to suggest that he did not do it alone. In verse 1, in describing being brought safely to shore, Luke, the author of Acts, Uses the pronoun we. This means that Luke was certainly a companion who was on this journey with Paul, who had experienced the shipwreck with him, and was on his way to Rome with Paul. Though he was not a prisoner, he was allowed to accompany Paul on this journey to Rome. Luke was also a physician, which, given what Paul had been through, was likely a huge benefit. (laughs) In addition, In addition, we are told that a man named Aristarchus was also with them. And this is the same man who was dragged into the amphitheater in in Ephesus, in Ephesus along with Gaius back in Acts chapter 19. So if you go back to Acts chapter 19, Aristarchus and Gaius were mentioned as those who were dragged into the auditorium during the riot in Ephesus. Aristarchus is with Paul. He was also a part of the shipwreck. And is also traveling with Paul to Rome. Paul, all I'm saying is, he was not by himself. And if these companions were not enough, as Paul approaches the city of Rome, we read this, verse 13. And from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And the second day we came uh, to Puteoli. And there we found brothers and, we in, and, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Apias and three taverns to meet us. Christians from the territory surrounding Rome and in Rome came to greet Paul, and some of them traveling some distance to do so. And we know that this mattered greatly to Paul because we read On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. I've said this before, and it bears repeating that the Apostle Paul did not think of himself as a solo artist, as a solitary figure fighting for God against the world all by himself. He didn't have what I call the Elijah syndrome I'm all by myself, woe is me type of attitude. No, Paul was always cognizant of his need for community and the reality that God had given him that very community that he needed. Paul was very aware of the problems and issues present in God's church, and yet he never let himself believe that he did not need that church or that he was not part of that church. Paul gave thanks to God for the Christians around Rome, and God sent them to encourage Paul and to support him. You see, the unstoppable kingdom of God doesn't consist of a band of solo artists dispersed around the world doing their own thing. The church is a community, it's God's community that is meant to encourage and to support one another, to accept one another in Christ, just as Christ has accepted us. These folk did not know Paul personally, but Paul belonged to them. And they belonged to Paul. He did not, they did not know him personally. But Paul belonged to them, and they belonged to Paul. And they treated him as their brother because he was their brother through faith in Jesus Christ. The unstoppable kingdom creates a community, a community that encourages and supports each other in times of need. Is that who we are? Is that who we're trying to be? Is that who we're encouraging the rest of the church to be? because that's what we're called to be. And I want to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, that all of us need community. Don't tell yourself to lie because you're an introvert. You can get by on your own. You cannot. You need other people in the community of God to encourage and support you in your time of need. And in fact, we are called to do that to support and encourage one another in this journey of bearing witness to Jesus. We need each other. We are not meant to do this alone. Who around you right now needs to be encouraged? Who around you right now needs to be encouraged? Who around you is facing trial for their faith? Who needs your prayers as well as your support? Who needs you to stand with them? These same questions that we ask individually, we need to also ask corporately as well. When a famine strikes the church in Jerusalem, Paul goes about raising support for all, among all the churches he had planted. The church in Jerusalem, all I'm saying is they needed the church in Macedonia. And the question for us is who needs us? Are our eyes open to the parts of the body that are hurting corporately in our own city, around the world? Are we prepared to support them financially, legally, emotionally? Paul needed the community, and the community needed him. The same truth applies corporately as well. Let Paul's words in Thessalonians be our practice. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That should actually be our practice. That should be how people know us, as a community that supports, encourages, and stands with each other in our times of need. If we're not doing that, how do we then call ourselves the community of Christ? The kingdom of God offers us kindness over cruelty. It offers us community over condemnation. Lastly, faith over futility. Faith over futility. Paul had seen his own countrymen clinging to the futility of their own agendas, their own self-centered goals for themselves and for their people. He'd experienced the the jealousy that fueled so much of their hatred against him. It's amazing, by the way, I I said this uh, in, in a previous sermon, but it's amazing how many times jealousy is mentioned in Acts as a motivation for the persecution of Paul and others. And even even if we want to call it jealous zeal for what they believed were God's true purposes, the violence that often followed their jealous zeal did not find its roots in God but in their own selfishness, the selfishness of their own hearts. And Paul knew that this same futility was prevalent in, in, in the Gentile world as well, with, with the nations, the nations of the world clinging to their false gods and the false hopes of their empires, the pleasures of this world. Paul, Paul, had seen emptiness, futility, all around him. In fact, he had, he had come to see he had come to see the futility of his own life before coming to Jesus. But this is why he's now in chains. He's in chains because he had come to experience true hope. He had come to the knowledge of something. Indeed, he had come to the knowledge of someone who had brought him from futility to faith. And when I say faith, I don't mean a general belief in something. No, no I, mean, I mean faith as it is described by the writer of Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Paul had seen God's hope. He had had seen what Moses and the prophets had testified was coming. It, it It had been made visible to him. In fact, it had been made so visible that it had blinded him on his journey to Damascus. Paul saw in that moment where the world was headed, the glory that was to come, and he saw the one who would bring about that new world. Paul's faith wasn't, wasn't founded on some wishful thinking, but on, but on seeing the one whom Moses and the prophets testified about. And so when he called those Jewish leaders to his quarters and he explained to them the message he had been preaching, he spoke as a man who had been where they now were. He spoke as one whose eyes had been closed, whose ears had been stopped. And he spoke as one who had, like they had, resisted the message about Jesus, refusing to see and hear the gospel of God's kingdom come in and through him. He had, like they, clung to the futility of his own works, of his own status, of his own righteousness. When he saw Jesus, everything changed. I I just wonder if that's your story. I wonder if you if you know your own futility, the emptiness of your own life before you actually came to know Jesus and I wonder if anybody in here can actually testify today I know Jesus and everything's changed. Today I know the Lord, and my life is not what it was before my my eyes used to be closed, my ears used to be stopped, but now my heart has been renewed, and my mind is being renewed, and now I am not. The person I used to be. Everything changed. And now, here's what I love about this story. The same Jesus whom Paul had seen with his own eyes, who had rescued Paul from his futility, breaks through the futility of some of those leaders sitting there in the room. As they, as they heard Paul's story, as they heard him explain and testify and expound the scriptures and, and look at the law of Moses and the words of the prophets, as they heard his own story of how he had been transformed, somehow the light of the glory of God broke through all of the mess and futility of their lives and they put their faith in Jesus. Now here's what's remarkable to me. Though they had not seen Jesus in his glory as Paul had, They still believed. From Paul's testimony and from the work of the Spirit in their hearts, they put their trust in Jesus. And I can't help but think back to Jesus' words to Nathaniel after he touched Jesus' wounds and recognized his Savior had been resurrected from the dead. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. In a room full of disbelievers, God opened some folks' eyes to see what they had not seen before. And I got good news for you. He's still doing that today. This is why, this is why, listen to me, our testimony about Jesus matters. This is why our testimony about Jesus matters in this world. Through the power of the Spirit of God… God uses his word, the word of his gospel, and our testimony of how that word has changed us to open blind eyes to see the truth about him, to see that he is real and that his kingdom is real. The word of his gospel is being spread all over the world among the nations of the earth, and we are called to participate in the advance of that gospel. And here's the confidence that we can have as we do so. The kingdom of God is indeed unstoppable. It is unhindered by all that this world throws at it. If you want evidence of that, then look no further than a Roman prisoner sitting chained to a Roman guard and yet still able to declare the kingdom of God with boldness and without hindrance. But the words of this prisoner from his letter to the Philippians, while he is in jail. (laughs) Let his words inspire you. As he writes to the Philippians, he says this to them, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. (laughs) I wish we had that kind of perspective. (laughs) I'm in jail. I've been in jail for more than two years. I'm chained to a guard. I'm going to talk to Caesar. It might be my last talk. But here's my perspective. What's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I wonder what would happen if you weren't concerned with watching another TV program. Getting to see another movie. I wonder what would happen if your comfort was not as important to you as it is. I wonder what would happen if you say, you know what, it's a lot of mess going on in my life, but I want you to know it really has helped to advance the gospel. Because the thing I really care about more than anything in this life is that the gospel be advanced. I wonder what would happen if that was our perspective. so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. I wonder if our own comfort did not matter to us as much as it does if we would actually Enter into the very difficult and painful call to preach the gospel in a culture that doesn't care about God's justice or mercy or compassion or truth. I wonder what would happen if you weren't afraid of going to jail, brothers and sisters. We have a true faith that rests on a sure hope. And the call is to continue to proclaim that hope and to not allow our chains, whatever they are, or any other circumstances to cause us to throw it away. Our faith is not futile. The kingdom of God will be established over this world. How many of you all actually believe that? Because I'm saying that and it sounds good. How many of you all actually believe? the kingdom of God will be established over this world. If you actually believe that that's actually what's coming, here's the good news for us. As we proclaim that kingdom come in Jesus, God will use us to draw others to faith. He will use us to draw others out of their own futility to himself. And yes, we will be confronted with the disbelief of those who refuse to turn away from their own agendas to Christ. Yes, that will come, but it will not hinder the advance of God's kingdom. Despite those who disbelieved, God was still able to rescue those whom he was calling to himself. And it's still true today. Don't buy the lie that Satan is winning, that faithlessness is winning, that those blind to God's truth are winning. Trust God that your faith is real, that your hope is real, that the kingdom of God is real, and that it cannot be hindered. Trust these words from Revelation eleven fifteen. Cling to them as truth because they are truth. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. <laughs> Amen, people of God. <laughs> the unhindered kingdom of God, it continues to advance in this broken world. Jesus, Jesus continues to ride on. He continues to ride on, announcing his victory to all who will hear it. And our call is to hope in that kingdom, to hope in his blessings. That kingdom, it's a kingdom of kindness, it's a kingdom of Community, it is a kingdom of faith. May God grant through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, that we would have a deep seated trust in Him as we proclaim that kingdom in the world. Amen, people of God. Amen. Bless God. Let's pray. Father, we do give you praise that this kingdom is unhindered, it is unstoppable. Lord, we see the evil, we're not blind to it, We're we're not blind to the injustice that happens in our world, we're not blind. To the things that we have experienced and had to deal with. We're not blind to the things others have had to deal with and have had to experience, but it is our hope in the coming of the kingdom that allows us to engage all of those things, to engage the injustice in this world, to engage it in our own culture, to engage it in our own lives, to engage it in the lives of others. It is the promise of the coming kingdom of God, which is already making its way through this world, Lord, that gives us hope to face all of those realities. And so I pray for your people this morning. I pray for those sitting under the sound of my voice. I pray for those who are gathered in your name around this world, Lord. I pray for them today to believe, to believe and to trust that Jesus is indeed riding on and his kingdom is advancing over all the earth. Father, give us faith, give us hope, give us trust, by the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.